This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. fascination with how what is happening on the broader scale in terms of our nation's politics uh, is really also impacted by the decisions of very key people we have been following to a slight degree because we do not follow the Donald Trump saga as closely as I think a lot of other news outlets do and that's because well we have actual work to do and we want to focus on what's actually going to have an impact and yet at the same time we recognize that uh, Donald Trump's presence looms largely over the 2024 election in in spite of the fact that he's facing numerous criminal charges and, and potential charges, uh, we recognize that at the same time, while that is happening, and that's where all of the nation is focused, that the Republican Party is also really engaged in a whole, what we'll call flooding the zone approach to legislating that I think we need to spend way more time uh, and attention focusing on. Joining me right now is someone who has seen all of this and more from a very up-close vantage point. Uh, Mary L. Trump is joining us today. She holds a PhD from the Derner Institute of Advanced Psychological Studies. She's taught graduate studies in trauma, psychopathology, developmental psychology, and she is the host of The Mary Trump Show, an essential new podcast discussing politics, pop culture, and everything in between with her unique perspective and what many call very irreverent humor. She also happens to have the fame of being Donald Trump's niece, the only niece, as we understand it. Mary Trump, it is such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, it's really great to be here. Uh, with you as well. And I agree with everything you said. Uh, we media spend way too much time and attention on Donald Trump. He's a symptom of a very serious disease that's metastasized over the last seven years. But you're right, we can't ignore him entirely. And that's it's threading that needle, right? You know, paying attention yeah. to him when it, we have to and ignoring him and or mocking him the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a little bit of both. It's serious. Yeah. We, we've got the range. But, you know, one of the things that's been really interesting to me is that the media is doing that thing again, where anytime uh, Donald Trump breathes in irreverently, they, they focus on it completely 1000%. We saw more pro, more uh, reporters than protesters at the arraignment. And it has sort of been this song, song and dance that has really taken the nation's attention. But Mary, you know, in the background of that, there's a whole lot of actual legislating happening, a whole lot of other activities. And I heard you use the phrase in an re interview recently, flooding the zone to describe what we see Republicans doing. Can you tease out that concept for us a little bit? Because I want us to be clear as we're going into the new election cycle that I want us to focus on what really matters and not get lost in, in the bread trail or the breadcrumbs that lead us down a trail of just sycophancy when it yeah. comes to worshiping at the feet of, of Donald. Yeah, and I think what we learned or relearned in the last couple of weeks is that the the mainstream media has not learned its lesson. It is not on the side of democracy, and you know we need to get our sources, uh, our information elsewhere. Uh, you will be forgiven if you suddenly thought you were back in 2016 by watching endless endless footage of a plane sitting on a tarmac. So <laughs> <laughs> while all of that's going on, you're absolutely right. We look at, at, at the horrific epidemic of mass shootings continue without any effort uh, to stop it. Uh, and in yeah. fact, the right is just making it easier for people who shouldn't have guns to get guns. They're, make, it's, they're making it easier for our children to become victims in mass shootings. They're making it 
easy, easier for our children to suffer the effects of um, unabetted, un, sorry, uh, climate catastrophe that we're mm. also not doing enough to stop. Um, we're seeing them not able to ban books because we have this thing called the First Amendment, so they're defunding libraries. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And that's where we need to be paying attention because if we think that some what happens in Mississippi or that what happens in Texas doesn't affect us if we're in a blue state, well, guess what? A judge in Amarillo, Texas, just took one step closer to making Mephistoprode, I always mispronounce it, forgive me. Same. <laughs> Mephistoprode, I think it's called. Yeah, anyway. yeah, your guess is as good as mine. And I've uh, said it a million times over the past two weeks, so I should actually know how to say it. <laughs> a friend of mine just started calling it Miffy. <laughs> and at first I that thought works. she was talking about a person, but okay. Um, anyway, a very safe, safer than penicillin, safer than Viagra, um, abortifacient, which is just to help people have medical uh, abortions, which, by the way, are legal in over half the states, it will be illegal everywhere. And mm. this this case is going to go to the Supreme Court. I think we know what's going to happen there. <laughs> right, right. And so while we're wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in the performance nature of the theatrics, there's that very real uh, background that is going to have actual implications for all of us. And I'm wondering if you think um, that there is any lesson to be learned or what are the lessons to be learned about how we should be focusing? Because we see the media is doing what they're going to do. How do we pick and choose, Mary Trump, to focus on what is actually happening? Because that the example that you gave uh, with regards to all of the, the many different bans and the efforts and the laws and the uh, what we're seeing happening in Tennessee, what we're seeing happening in Mississippi, all of that is infuriating. It's enraging. It causes a lot of repeat trauma, secondhand trauma for those of us who are watching and feel paralyzed on, on the sidelines. But what should our response be? How should we, how do we take the fact that we know the media is going to media and we know the Republicans are going to Republic? What should our actual response be in terms of protecting our mental health? And you're, a, you know, you have a background in this field. So I want to make sure we're drawing on that. But how do we protect our mental health while we determine where our advocacy and agency should be directed? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it, it's it's one I struggle to answer, quite honestly, because we the reality is we are in a multi-front war and we can't actually stop fighting on any one of those fronts because if we do, then next thing you know, Roe v. Wade is overturned and there are no public libraries anymore, et cetera. But that doesn't mean everybody needs to be fighting everything at the same time. So yeah. I... The best way to look at it is that this is, it's not a sprint and it's not a marathon. It's a relay race. And mm. we need to stay in it as long as we can, as long as we're feeling effective. But if you need to tap out to take a break, to take a mental health break, then tap out and hand off that baton to somebody, some other ally, because mm. the onslaught is, you know, especially like, like you, for you and the rest of us who write about this and comment on everything that's happening, it is very, very difficult to uh, disengage and unplug when you feel like the, the threat is everywhere and the threat is real, yeah. which it is. But if you have the ability to take a step back every once in a while and just read a book, go for mm. a walk, 
go for a walk without listening to anything. Try that. That's, <laughs> that's a trick and a half. And, you know, just be outside, be in the sun, um, talk to your friends on the phone, go out for coffee, what have you, because they're banking on our being burned out. And this is another really important thing to recognize. And, and I, I think Donald, you know, credit where credit is due. He doesn't deserve credit for, for much, but you know, he did teach the Republicans that flooding the zone is really effective. And yeah. it turns out that the things that demoralize us, that worry us, that frighten us, energize them because they get off on cruelty. Uh, I've said many times, it is a very difficult time to be a person with empathy and you need to take care of wow. yourself too, though. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It is a difficult time to be a person with empathy. And it's also difficult to think about how we avoid the mistakes of the past, right? One of the things I've been studying a lot is how in prior movements and eras, we had integrated approaches to justice. I know a lot of people think integration is just what we do now sort of but we've had other periods and other pockets in american history where white people who were able to see past the benefits of white privilege were able to fight alongside black people who were trying to make this country actually live up to its creed and i'm wondering if you have any insight as someone who is not from the african-american community and who has seen privilege up close and who has i think in many ways chosen to reject it or at least chosen to, to weaponize it in a way that you could expose what needed to be exposed how do we get white Americans to stick with this fight? Because I'm imagining if I've been born into the ocean of privilege, whether I, I had anything to do with creating it or not, I, you know, and I, we had, my husband actually just had a really powerful conversation with one of his best friends who was white and was kind of, you know, disappointed by the inability for that friend to have the same sense of urgency that he has. Not disappointed, but just like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, we knew it, but how do we get white Americans to see what is happening, to recognize the flooding of the zone and stick with the fight of pursuing equity and justice in spite of the call to just, you know, I've done what I can. It is what it is. And I, I'm asking that because we see how that has happened in 1898 with Wilmington, North Carolina. We see how it happens in, in a variety of, of, of moments throughout the enslavement era where you had these opportunities for people across racial lines to come together, band together, stick together, and really transform the nation that end up being undermined by wealthy private interests who are basically able to pay off unions to not allow black people in, who can basically fund suffragettes to not include black voices in the fight for the right for women to vote. How do we engage the battle this time in a way that will keep white Americans focused on the need for fighting for equity and inclusion? I think that is the question. Uh, there, there are a lot of important questions. That is the most important one. Um, I unfortunately, even even well-meaning white people have uh, bought into the myth that white supremacy is a thing of the past and white privilege mm -hmm. doesn't exist. And to them, I would say, get over yourself, uh, you know, <laughs> um, because historically uh, this this goes back to the days when uh, enslaved people and um, indentured servants were in uh, the same economic uh, situation and right. rich white people decided that the most effective way to break up that quite logical coalition was to create the white 
was to create white supremacy and to give mm. poor white people something to feel good about. Uh, and that's still operative. And if you are a white person in this country who grew up in the 70s and 80s, 60s, 70s and 80s, you are racist. I'm not saying you're a racist. Mm. I, being a racist is to make a choice. It's to say, mm. you know, I believe that white people are better. If you're racist, it just means that you have taken in the subliminal and sometimes overt messages from the media and from politicians and from history that there is a qualitative difference between white people and people of color. And mm. if unless and until you're willing to challenge yourself and to challenge that premise, nothing really is going to change. Uh, so I think that that's, that is the most important battle we need to engage in with people who would otherwise be our allies, but who fall short there because acknowledge for a lot of people, acknowledging their white privilege is to feel guilt. And mm. okay, uh, it's not pleasant, um, but, you know, it took effort to make people racist. It takes effort to undo all of that. And just, you know, it's not people's fault that they were given those messages, but it's now becomes your responsibility to do something mm. about it. Mm. And one more I thing I'll say, because I, 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 I often forget to say this because it, it, it kind of infuriates me that you have to speak to people's self-interest about something where, yeah. you know, the lives of tens of millions of people are at stake and the reality of, of the situation of white supremacy in this country is so obvious to anybody who's paying attention uh, and who's willing to engage in that kind of uh, difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but white people also need to think about what they lose by mm. continuing to cling to the myth of white supremacy and huh. by continuing to uh, garner the advantages of white privilege, which guys is a very real thing. Let's talk about that. What do you said they need to what they lose by supporting white supremacy? I don't think a lot of white folks tend to think of supporting white supremacy as a lose lose option. Tease that out for us. What do, what does a white person lose by unquestioningly continuing to participate in a racist system by not choosing to be an ally by not recognizing that they might be racist, even if not a racist? What is that? What is they what do they risk losing in that moment? Well, I mean, obviously, if you're a white, if it, uh, you're an avowed white supremacist, you're, you know, you're, you're not going to go there, but uh, right. you're, you're Life's pretty good. <laughs> not going to lose anything by continuing to promote this incredibly unequal system. But, you know, again, if you are somebody who considers yourself an ally or wants to be an ally, you lose connection, you lose it. Mm. Uh, economic. It has an economic, a negative economic impact because when some right. people aren't doing well economically, that means nobody really is unless you're part of the 1%, which, you know, very few people are, obviously. Right. Um, right. So, you know, it is very, the kinds of unconscious fear and dread and potentially anger that go into holding yourself apart and above other people also mm. takes a toll. You know, mm. it's very stressful, um, even though you may not be aware of it. So I think the more we know, the more we acknowledge, just the better off we're going to be, we'll be more effective allies and yeah. um, we'll be able to have 
difficult conversations with more people. And also like if you're coming at it with from a place of um, honesty and willingness to um, make mistakes and face your own shame and guilt, well, you know what, in the long run, that's also gonna be better for you. Mm. And, you know, as you mentioned economics, the, there is also the benefit of we might have universal health care if it weren't for the racism. We might have, we might have, you know, we, we might have a whole lot of we might have fair housing. And there's a lot of folks who have written scholars who are far more adept at this than I who have talked a lot about the costs of upholding a system that is inherently unequal. And we all are harmed by that. Now, yes, some of us are harmed in different ways. And if I were white and if my harm were less than a black person's harm, I might think about that and, and be OK with it. But the reality is, you not only is there the loss of humanity, but there's the loss of the actual lived benefits when those indentured servants were seduced away from fighting in their own economic best interests by by literally being seduced away from the fight alongside with enslaved Africans with whom they had far more in, in common. They lost potential uh, the creation of a society that would have centered poor people, a society that would have centered those who are who do not have are not a part of the landed gentry of the time. And and when I think about it that way, and it's like wow, that racism was really smart, Mary Trump. Like this was a really <laughs> smart invention because you created yeah. a system that is based on free labor where no one can, I can't compete with free labor if I want wages. I can't compete with free labor if I want vacation time or weekends or, you know, a, a 10 hour workday as opposed to the 24 hour workday I was exposed to. And yet uh, we have consistently been able to see that this shiny little ball of white supremacy and privilege, at least you're not black, right? right? right. That has been enough to, to really undermine. And I think, you know, folks in Mississippi, it would be good for them to have health care. But they don't. Yeah. It would be great. To, you know, it, 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 these are the things that that we lose as you think about where we're going as a nation, as we think about not just what the, the flooding the zone does in terms of wearing down our psyche, but also what flooding the zone with all of these repressive policies does to wearing down democracy. What are your gravest concerns. Again, you're someone who has the insight. I, I, I'm looking at this from the outside. You have you have your foot inside this space, spaces that I will never be. And I'm wondering what you think about how flooding the zone beyond just our psyche. What is it doing to the stability of this nation to continue to call itself a nation of laws, whether we actually believe that that was ever the case or not? Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I just want to say one quick thing. It's also very important to realize for, for people to realize that there are many, many, many people in this country who aren't interested in doing better than other people, they're more concerned that other people do worse than they do. And that's enough for them. And that's dangerous. Wow. Uh, yeah. So wow. where we are now, I, I never thought I would be saying this two years uh, after two years um, after uh, President Biden took office, but we're in more danger than we've ever been as a country, perhaps since the Civil mm -hmm. War. Um, and Part of that is because the right is continuing its onslaught and is continuing to move further to the right. Uh, I, the Republican Party, in my view, is now a fascist party, and that's yeah. not being said explicitly enough because I guess it makes people nervous, just like it took the media four years to call Donald a liar and five years to call him a racist. I mean, mm. but, it you know, all of those things are pretty self-evident. Um, we also... You know, we, we're seeing uh, what happens when you have a rogue uh, Christo-fascist Supreme Court um, yeah. calling the shots and basically legislating from the bench. Mm. Uh, so there is a lot to be concerned about for sure. Um, but I think 
what we we need to start from a place again of uh, being honest about where we are. This country was never a democracy, right? Uh, so instead of saying let's become a you know let's save our democracy, why don't we start uh, more basically and say let's become one, mm-hmm. uh, and and look at what happens when. Um, Republicans, as in Mississippi, have supermajorities. They now have supermajority in Wisconsin. They now have a supermajority right. in North Carolina. Look what happens when they wield their illegitimate power. Uh, mm. They end any semblance of a democracy. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think if we focus on creating one, uh, mm. that because I, I mean, I don't, obviously this has never affected me personally, but when I hear people say that, you know, we're a democracy, I, I feel angry and I feel that that ignores so much. I mean, let's face it guys, yeah. when, when the United States was leading the charge, thankfully, uh, against Nazi Germany, uh, the American South was a closed fascist state. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it just aligns so much that's important about American history and, and the right's doing its level best to whitewash American history. So let's not us participate in that. Uh, and, you know, yeah. let's let's be honest, because I think it will make us more effective going forward. I'm a huge fan of honesty, particularly about these issues. Some might say a little too much, uh, but I think honesty is going to help shine the light for how we get out of this mess. I'm really grateful for you joining us this morning. Mary Trump, author of Too Much and Never Enough. And I'm so glad we got to expand beyond just... your uncle. <laughs> Me too. God bless. How can people follow you? Your podcast is amazing. We only have a minute or so left, but how can people follow you and continue to, to gain some insight from the words you share and the guests that you speak with? Uh, I'm I'm still on Twitter, which is maybe something I should be ashamed of at this point. I don't know. But uh, at Mary L. Trump uh, there. And my podcast is The Mary Trump Show. I have a Substack newsletter called The Good In Us, uh, which I would love for people to check out. And uh, my show's going on the road uh, at the beginning of May. So if you go to politicon.com slash tour, T-O-U-R, you can check out the show dates. It's happening in May. I love it. Shayla will be tweeting out all of that. We'll be sharing the links as well. Get the book, folks. It's insightful. And I've got to say, Mary Trump, I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate what it must have taken, or I respect what it must have taken for you to boldly and publicly speak out the way that you do. And I think the nation is actually better off for it. So thank you for your service and for sharing your thoughts and time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. Absolutely. Come back anytime. I have some questions. All right, cool. Stay (laughs) safe.